I just um I just watched the um Stephen Sondheim uh 90th birthday special on uh CVS on on CVS um and uh you know it was it was interesting basically what it was is a bunch of like you know people who work in in Broadway on you know basically a bunch of musical theater people um who are famous and then Jake Gyllenhaal as well because that's the thing when musical theater sort of enters the mainstream um a bunch of like your favorite celebrities are outed as uh musical theater lovers and it's sort of just this, you know, night of long knives in terms of, like, you know, names that you never thought you'd see. So, you know, Jake Gyllenhaal was on there. Uh, Meryl Streep, you might have thought, was on there. But there were, you know, names like that. Um, and what they did was, basically, you know, it's Stephen Sondheim's 90th birthday. And they were planning to do a retrospective, a sort of a celebration of his work. Um, and then the, then, then the virus hit, and so they sort of had to recalibrate. And so what it is, is basically everyone's recording themselves from home. Um, and, you know, they're all singing songs, they're introducing songs, they're talking about, you know, how much the music meant to them. And then doing full-blown performances from, you know, their office space. And you can see a corner of, of their framed uh, playbill in the background. Um, and they're just really belting it out with each other, and then they edited them all together to make it feel like a real show. Um, and, you know, I didn't watch the whole thing. It's two and a half hours long, but I just sort of uh, slapped, you know, fast-forward 15 seconds as fast as I could, and I got through the whole thing in about seven minutes. Um, and I saw, you know, some of the stuff that maybe I would have enjoyed, um, but I really, you know... And the thing is, like, I really do want to, you know, give a shout-out to the musical theater community... Um, for, you know, even in these trying times, um, maintaining their commitment to being absolutely insufferable. Because, um, you know, musical theater people, they, they, they tend to feed off of each other. They need each other's energy. That's how they get permission to be annoying. Um, because if one person starts tap dancing uh, by themselves, just practicing the moves, then that sort of gives, uh, you know, uh, physical permission for other people to join in them. Or, you know, if one person starts singing uh, one part of, of, of a Stephen Sondheim tune or, you know, a, some, any, a, any show tune, um, you know, it's sort of like a calling, like, a, like, like, you know, the first flame being lit atop the mountain um, so that other flames can be lit and send the signal to all the other musical theater kids that, you know what, it's time to go. Um, and they're the only genus of, of, human, of humans that are just like always prepared for a flash mob. Um, and so, but you, you know, you thought that would have gone away with the coronavirus because you can't be, these people, they can't be next to each other. So how are they going to, how are they going to, you know, feed off of each other? But they managed to do it, um, by all just getting on a Zoom call together or recording themselves singing a song and then, and then, you know. And basically just making the world's most elaborate and uh, extensive iMovie or like, you know, photo booth uh, film um, and then putting that on primetime on, on network television, um, you know, because the musical theater community, they, 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 they don't give up. They work hard. That's why all every musical theater song, every every musical has a song in it in the beginning where, you know, the main character saying, I'm not going to give up. You know, I may just be, you know, a, a small town, you know, uh, f- phone operator living in 1945. But, you know, I want to be on Broadway or I want to, you know, I want to go fight in the war and I'm not going to let anything stop me from ac- accomplishing my dreams. Um, and those songs are in there because they reflect the the 
they reflect the, the the people who make them, you know. So um, if you are a, a, if you do musical theater and you love singing as loud as you can, and uh, you know putting as much vibrato in your voice as you can to the point that it sounds like you're singing into a wall fan, uh, you, you're you're gonna do it. Um, and they're gonna even if even if the world is falling apart, you know businesses are closing. Um, you know most people are are completely we're entering a new depression. But thank God that we have the the musical theater community to drag us out of it. Um, you know singing and screaming and kicking and you know we're 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 miserable. And uh, but as long as these people can do a full duet over over FaceTime. Um, that does that does lighten the spirits of of them of lightens their spirits, um, while the rest of us are forced to 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 watch this. Um, so, you know, yeah, and like it was, it was strange who you who you think who was on that show. Like suddenly it was suddenly Jason Alexander was there. Suddenly George from Seinfeld was like, I have a couple words to say about you know Sunday in the Park with George. I think I have I think people really want to hear from me about this. And maybe he was in it on Broadway or something like that. I don't know. Um but you know, he 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 didn't even sing a song. He just talked for 4 minutes. And then Lynn Manuel Miranda, you know he's going to be there. You know he's going to be there. I mean, it's crazy Lynn Manuel Miranda. He he manages to shoehorn his way into anything remotely involving him. Um and he just sort of shows up and he has that, you know, he's got ha! You know, lights up in Washington Heights up at the break it. You know, and it's like, what are you talking about? And uh, I think I think we're all gonna have a sort of um, God, the period. I don't know. I I I I was one of those people that was really into Hamilton when it was popular. Whenever that was, twenty seventeen. Um, I I really did listen to it a lot, and I did memorize every lyrics. You know, I I think I was I was okay about not doing it in front of my friends, and, and you know about keeping it, maintaining it, maintaining my composure with it. You know, I wasn't just like reciting lyrics to people who knew. Um, you know, I, I I kept it a secret, which I think you should if you're a music if you're into musical theater at all. You should you should keep it a secret. Um, but I think that we're gonna look back on that period of Hamilton being popular and the you know mass worship of Lin Manuel Miranda. Uh, as a very sort of like uh, cringe-worthy, you know, coma that our entire culture was induced into, um, because you know you you see Lin now, and he talks, and you listen, and you can't help but feel that you're watching, you know, a baby, you know, just trying to get attention from their father. Um, and I suppose uh, that's how it all is. That's how all entertainers are. But I think he does the the worst job at hiding it. And that's what makes it really insufferable. I wish Lynn was, I wish, I just wish there was something that, uh, I wish he could just have any sort of cool. I wish he could keep his cool at all. And I know that it's not cool to be cool, but, uh, you know, how it's, it's, it's cooler to be a nerd and it's cooler to like show your colors, especially in, in those circles. But um, I think I think that needs to be really rolled back significantly. Um, but that's going to be hard as long as Lin Manuel Miranda is alive. And I'm not calling for his assassination. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying I'm saying he needs to be you know just taken down a peg. Um, you know I think he needs. To, the thing is, it takes him so long to write anything um, that you know he doesn't give himself enough shots to miss. 
who was it? It was Wayne Gretzky that says you miss every shot you don't take. Um, and he's not taking a lot of shots, but he's making them all. So I want him to start taking more shots so that he can start missing more of them. Um, but, you know, he it just seems that everything he creates, it gets pretty universal acclaim. Um, and then you see an interview with him about it, and you're like, how did something so, uh, so you know, competent and, and brilliant come out of a man who, who, who basically, you know, he's insufferable. You can't listen to him because it's so hard to talk to. I don't know. I wish I had a more um, illustrative way to describe him. Um, but he's, he's just cringy. He's just cringy. And that fucking book that he did, the, the, the Good Morning, Good Night book, um, where he just him and whatever, Johnny Son, Johnny Son, they decided, you know what? People want to read our tweets, but on, on paper. You know, the only thing that sucks about our tweets is the fact that they're digital and not, you know, in print. Um, which is just, you know, talk about not reading the room. Like, no one wanted, no one wants to hear from you um, every day. I mean, you, we, we have to hear from you every day in some form if you're an, a user of Twitter. But, uh, you know, to, to, to put it in a book and expect us to put that book in our coffee table or to even leave it in a place where others could read it as opposed to, like, shutting it in a closet and hoping that it decays over the eons is a grave misjudgment of uh, the public temperature, you know. Uh, and, and and their general interest in Lin Manuel in the, the Lin Manuel Miranda universe. So yeah, I was just watching that on my phone, and it was and it was aggravating me. And maybe you know, maybe it's because uh, we sort of have a wish. I I think I, I think I have a a deep Schadenfreude in me. You know, I think I've, I think my whatever that that gland is that wants to see others fail. I think mine is overactive. Because uh, even hearing any bad news about anyone else is, is – it brings me – you know, so, I mean unless it's someone that I really, really, really love. Um, no, that's not even true. Like people that I really, really, really love, it's like, you know, hearing them do well, there's – I want them to do well. But hearing them that they're doing poorly um, gives me some sort of satisfaction. And, you know, I have a friend who um, – not a friend, but a, fr- a family friend who, who had a child recently – um, you know, and he's and she's and he's about two years old now. And by two years old, certain things should be happening. You know, you should be starting to grasp the world around you and interpret it, and then you know, say some stuff about it. But the kid can't talk. You know, he's he's two and a half, I think, and he can't say a word. He's just learning to say yes. You know, and that's like one of the first things you learn is 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 yes, it's a very easy sound to make. You hear your parents say it all the time. You know that it's a thing, and you pretty quickly want to grab onto it and start using it. You know, um, but the kid is just barely learning to say yes, uh, and it's not in the sense that like oh he's only learning what yes means because you know you you learn the word yes as a baby and you think it means everything. You know, do you want to go home? Yes. Do you want to stay here? Yes. Do you want mac and cheese? Yes. Do you want to you know go drink water and never you know you want to go sit in a room by yourself? Yes. You just say yes to everything because it's the only word you know. But this kid, he it's not that he just he doesn't understand what yes means. It's that he he can't mouth he can't make the sound with his lips um so he's speech delayed um and so you know i'll, I'll hear about you know it's so every time I'll, I'll hear an update on this kid you know part of, most of me half of me 50 percent of me wants to hear like oh he's he's really speaking he's really coming into his own he's actually uh excelling beyond his peers um in terms of you know his brain maturing but every time what i get is you know oh he can't talk he still is struggling to say anything and, um, you know, part of me, half of me is like, oh, no, this poor kid, I hope he, you know, I mean, he will learn to talk. He will, it's not like he's just going to not learn to talk. 
because if he was deaf, if he was mute, you know, it, the, the, the symptoms would be much more severe. We would be very aware of that, you know, because he would be, he'd be sitting alone more often, you know, you couldn't snap in his ear and have him, you know, recoil in, 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 in shock, you know. Not that I've done that, but that seems to be what would happen. That would just be, I don't know, if I had a child who was maybe deaf, that would be the first way that I would try and figure it out. You know, if, if, if there was, if I had any semblance or any, if I could sort of sniff out that my kid wasn't aware of what was around him, the first thing I would do was get right in front of his eyes, start making like a big face and widening my face and then closing it, you know, just seeing if he could like interpret basic, um, you know, facial contortions and try and, you know, make, make some sense of it. And then the, the second thing I would do is I would get my my hands ready and I would just start snapping in the kid's ears you know just like bat right left right left right left right left right left just to see if he can like even interpret that stuff but uh you know this kid that I'm talking about doesn't seem to have that issue um you know you we're not at that point where we're needing to test his basic uh you know five senses six senses five senses five senses because six senses is a movie and it's called six sense because there's usually five and the sixth one is being able to see dead people so there's five senses and his are all okay um yeah, but, you know, when I hear about that he's having trouble, and maybe this is a really bad thing to say about me, part of me, this this could be one of the worst things you've ever heard, is that part of me is glad that the kid can't talk, you know, but uh, but not, not, in a, not in the sense that I want him to un- be unable to talk, it's just like, it's a, it's, it's, it's a sort of, um, you know, like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm better than him, and, oh, man, <laughs> this is really bad, uh, no, it's not that I'm better than him, it's that, you know, I want... I, 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 maybe, maybe here's what it is. Maybe this is what it is, is that, you know, the more adverse, the, the more adversaries that he has to overcome, the more mountains he has to climb, the, the, the better he will be on the other side. So I imagine if I couldn't talk until I was five or six years old, the second I did learn to talk, oh, I wouldn't shut up, right? So maybe that's what's going to happen with him is that he won't talk for a while. And then once he really gets a hold of it, he's just going to hop in the driver's seat and slam the pedal to the metal. You know, he won't, you know, he'll have a lot, a lot to say he'll be you know he'll he and then he then he'll learn to write he'll learn to read and he'll really learn to like articulate his thoughts um you know suddenly he'll be have an opinion piece in the new yorker you know and he'll be dissecting you know instagram comments and relating them to you know the iranian hostage crisis and how those are how are those related you know because he'll have all these sort of like thoughts to get out of his brain because he's had so much time as a baby not speaking to mull it all over you know i imagine it would be like being a prisoner of war for a long time you know if you were fighting in vietnam say you're a John McCain, and you were captured, and you were tortured, and you were, you know, left in a bamboo hut for months and months on end, you know, you would come out of that with some stories to tell and some things to say, and, you know, a whole thought, some, so having some, having some real, some real substance, and then you would run for Congress, and you'd become a, a war hero, and you would die, and you know, of a brain tumor, but, but you would have lived a very full life, so I'm hoping, and I, and I'm sure that is, that will be the case for this child who can barely say the word yes at two and a half years old. I am 100% sure that this child will become a war hero. Um, and maybe that's, you know, maybe that's some, some, some wishful thinking or just, you know, free association in my mind. And, you know, you could wonder, how did I get there? But, you know, check back in with me in, in you know, what, 18 years, 25 years. I don't know. How old are you when you become a, when you become a war hero? Because you can enter the war when you're like 16. That's the first thing anyone ever tells you about wars is that, you know, they've overwhelmingly been fought by people between the ages of 16 and like 22 years old. But, you know, so soldiers are that age, but how old are war heroes? War heroes seem to always be 87, right? 
you know, and it's like, so maybe we should be giving these people the title of war hero earlier in their life. I mean, I guess John McCain was a war hero when he was in his 30s. I don't know how old he was when he was uh, captured in Vietnam, but it seems by the time he was just nationally deemed a war hero, the man was already graying and the tumors were already growing, you know, and I, I, I think that's, that's, that's not fair to them is that we should, you know, really lower the age limit for a war hero. You know, how old do you need to be to be president? Like 35? I think you should have to be, you know, you can be, I think the, the age for being a war hero should be 18, the same that you can vote. Um, so you enter the war and you, you, you know, you start sh shooting at people, you get whatever it is, 25 confirmed kills, but then, you know, you're, you you save your buddy from, you know, almost burning in a, in a, in a Humvee because you hit an IUD, you hit an IUD, um, you know, uh, maybe you're trying, that's that's what really sucks about wars is that there's all these IUDs on the road and you'll be driving along in the Humvee, Humvee and then suddenly you find out uh, your girlfriend can't get pregnant and you know and you have to get out you have to it's, it's a big issue I meant to say IED that was the joke um, you know and so uh, that's the big issue what, what was I saying oh yeah 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 so if you do all that stuff if you do, if, you know if you're disarming an IED and saving your platoon and you know then fighting off the Taliban at the same time it doesn't matter how old you are you should be a war hero and you know maybe I'm completely off on this and there are plenty of 25 year old 30 year old war heroes but um, you know at least in the public you know knowledge you know there are no household names of war heroes that are younger than you know 30 and I I think that's the big problem with war is that uh you know they say you get glory they say it's a reward it's a rewarding thing but that really doesn't seem to be the case i don't know i was thinking about this actually last night where you know you get back you know if you if, if you go to war i was in class you know a couple of years ago and it was a class about, you know, the Middle East and it was about 9-11 and the American intervention in, you know, Iraq and Iran and how, how a lot of the, the, the terrorist groups that we've been fighting for the past 40 years were funded by us and how we, we, how we really are the problem. And one of the main tenets of the class, one of like the big, you know, messages to take away is that uh, the war in, in, you know, the Gulf War, the war in Afghanistan, the war in Iraq and Iran, uh, the war on terror is essentially a lie. And, uh, you know, we were all on board with this as a bunch of, like, 19, 20-year-old, you know, liberal arts college students who had never seen anything in life and had come from, you know, very privileged backgrounds and really had nothing to lose um, because we had nothing, we had no respect owed to us. Um, that's, we, most of us, we were on board with that idea. Um, but then one of us, there was one guy who was a very young-looking guy, um, but he had a mustache, and you could tell that he was a little older, but then we found out that he was 30 years old. He was just a young-looking 30-year-old. And he had just come back from his second tour in Afghanistan. So there he was, sitting in the front row of his class, listening to Professor Michael Gasper, um, you know, a, a well-versed in, in Middle Eastern culture and history, uh, you know, basically telling him that the last eight years of his life were for nothing. And, uh, you know, he didn't go off um, as one might have expected. You know, one could have even expected that the kid would come into school the next week with, you know, one of the, with a, with a, with a military-issued rifle and really let us have it. 
but it didn't happen. And instead, he sort of like, as, as you would expect maybe a soldier to be, he was very reserved. He kept his cool. He respected the teacher the whole time. But you couldn't, I couldn't help but think, like, the second we all learned that he was in the military, you know, I, the whole time, all I was thinking about was like, oh, my God, this kid is probably seething in his chair right now, you know? How is he not pissed? Because he's basically being told that his, his, his entire identity is, is based on a false based based on nothing you know the ground beneath his feet has is shaking it's it's sand he's standing in quicksand his whole history his whole legacy is now just dissolving right before his eyes um at least according to this asshole professor who's never actually you know fought in a war and just spent like a couple months in egypt learning about you know uh the bedouin or whatever the fuck um so, you know, I think that that would be the hardest part of being a soldier is coming home and being told that you're 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 wrong, basically, you know, that'd be hard. I just had a little sip of my coffee. Um, where what do I have? I got I got 20 minutes We're we're planning on calling um one Teddy Padilla during this um, just to say just to say hi. And, you know, maybe uh you know, really get something, maybe just get his thoughts on uh, where he is, you know, the current situation. Um, but, you know, it does feel, I don't, maybe I'm thinking about war heroes a lot lately because as in the coronavirus, we are all war heroes, you know, in a way. Uh, we're all sort of, uh, you know, we're all being trapped. We're all going through exactly, and not an exaggeration, what John McCain went through. Um, you know, where he, whereas he was, you know, being trapped in a room somewhere in some tiny town in Vietnam, you know, having finger, having bamboo seeds planted underneath his fingers, fingernails, or, you know, basically, you know, having water dripped on his forehead in an attempt to drive him to complete insanity. Um, we're going through the same thing since I, uh, have almost, I've finished all of Better Call Saul on Netflix in a matter of, of, of two weeks, you know, um, and so those are very similar to each other in terms of, you know, uh, extreme experiences of the human condition. Um, and I oh, and now I, I have I have a lot more respect now for Mr. McCain after, you know, having jerked off three times in one day. Um, that would really be hard as a war hero is if they didn't let you masturbate. Um, but I imagine they do. I imagine that's all that's what goes on there. And the same thing with prison. I'm not going to go into that. It is weird, you know, how in basically we've, we've, we've taken, uh, you know, the left side of, of things have sort of, you know, made discussing prison from, from an outsider's perspective um, very uncouth and, you know, filled with racial overtones, which it is. But um, we're given the complete green light to just generalizing everything about the experience of soldiers. I think that's a little weird um, because, you know, being in prison and um, joining the military are very similar paths. Um, you know, it's something you do when maybe you when 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 you feel a, a duty to your country. Um, everyone knows that when you go to prison, it's because you're serving your time. To, it's because you love your country. Um, if you are being put in solitary confinement for 18 months because you punch someone in the courtyard after they, uh, you know, threatened to have your parents killed, um, and the whole reason you're there is because you were caught selling, you know, uh, marijuana and, and cocaine on a, on a, on a street corner, uh, that you're, that's all happening to you because you love your government. Um, we know that now as a fact it's generally accepted 
Um, you know, it's written on, on elementary school walls. You know, they teach it to children that, like, kids, if you end up in prison, uh, thank you for your service. Uh, that's what teachers should be saying. And then we all stand and salute and do the, do the national, do the Pledge of Allegiance. Do you remember the Pledge of Allegiance is another big question um, for anyone listening to this. I do remember it. Um, and I also remember the kids in class who uh, made a point of not saying it um, because they discovered, you know, they discovered edginess on YouTube. They said, you know, this is how I'm going to show my, uh, show the fact that I'm not a phony, that I'm not, you know, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm more akin to Holden Caulfield than I am to uh, Chris Kyle, um, which are two, you know, sort of, uh, you know that there's that picture online of, of the Grim Reaper and, and, and or no, it's uh, the devil and Jesus playing chess over a dead body, and it's sort of meant to represent the two, you know, great uh, antagonistic forces in life. Um, I would say that the human manifestation of those people are are, are Chris Kyle and uh, whoever the first person I was that I was that 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 I mentioned. Uh, I literally forget who I just said. Um, but yeah, I remember being when because it was every morning like around ten a.m. or something like that. Or no, it must have been way earlier because school started at eight. So I think it was probably around eight thirty. They would uh, say, "All right, everyone, rise for the pledge of allegiance," and we would all stand up from our desks, and we would say, "You know, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and for the republic for which it stands." Which hold up, mind if I screech the tires here, throw the gear in reverse, and just. Back it back back it up a couple feet. The United States of America and for the republic for which it stands is the United States of America not just a republic? It isn't that isn't it the republic? Maybe this is just a debate of semantics, and I'm picking apart you know a sense some sentence structure. Um, but it seems like what they're implying is that the United States of America stands for a different republic, um, and that in fact that there is a shadow government that controls everything. Just a thought, just a little, you know, like if I was grading this as an essay, I would underline and put a question mark and say, see me after class. Anyway, um, for the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, very controversial, with liberty and justice for all. Also very, very controversial. Um, is it possible to do a page one rewrite of the Pledge of Allegiance? Is that in the Constitution? Is the Pledge of Allegiance in the Constitution? I don't even think it was. Honestly, the Pledge of Allegiance sounds like something that was written by some guy in like 1963 to, you know, usher in a draft, you know, uh, to say, you know, like, hey, we want people to go fight against their own will. Let's at least give them a little like poem to recite as it was happening. But, you know, they couldn't use, you know, some sort of Walt Whitman because that was copyrighted back then. Um, so instead they wrote their own thing and that became the Pledge of Allegiance. Um, but the point is that, you know, every morning you'd have to recite that, at least in public school where I went for a little bit, for a brief, I don't want to say, you know, oh, I'm a public school kid, you know, I know the real world, I, world, I, I, I don't. I mean, if you listen to the last episode, I gave, you know, an entire history of my private school education and, you know, what I, what I went through instead of what most people do, but, uh, you know. Um, I remember in public school when we would recite that thing, you know, for the first, second, third, fourth grade, it was all fine. And then around fifth, sixth, seventh grade, that's when things got interesting. 
Um, Because that's when kids learned to use the internet. That's when kids started asking their parents about, you know, whether God exists. That's around when, you know, you you would see more footage about the war in Afghanistan on TV. And uh, then you started to dive into certain certain, you know, rings of the internet where uh, it was really cool to not stand during the Pledge of Allegiance. And so there were some kids who wouldn't. And, you know, depending on the teacher, uh, there would be some level of beratement. Um, a lot of teachers, you know, they were just sort of like, if there were teachers who paid attention to anything, you know, they would be, you know, or if they, they really could just do the cost benefit analysis on, you know, really giving this kid, giving this kid the old one, two in the back of the classroom for not standing. Uh, most of them would just be like, Hey, you know, uh, Alex, you got to stand. And he would say no. And they would say why? And they would say, because you can't make me. And they would go, I'll speak to you after class, and then they would never actually do it, and it'd become, you know, it would be over. But then there were some teachers, um, a lot of the military veterans who became public school teachers who really took it to the next level where they would, you know, they would walk to the back of the class and they would grab the kids by their shoulders or by their collar, you know, like a wolf lifting one of their cubs into, into, their, into their arms. You know, he would just grab their collar and just jerk them up out of their seat, and you could hear the kid just, you know, choke a little bit as this, you know, 280-pound math teacher is, you know, borderline strangling him in order to get him to say the Pledge of Allegiance. Um, And so uh, that became a very common phenomenon in a lot of uh, public school classrooms in which I uh, was a kid who was there. And uh, I never really wanted to do that. I My edginess manifested in other ways. Uh, we had a free write. I remember there was a free write period sometimes. Um, and uh, we could just, during which you're supposed to just write whatever you want. And, um, you know, and you can, and you can really sort of like, you know, it was, it was, it was meant to be that like, you know, the implication was that like you would use your free write to, uh, you know, write a letter to the president and ask him for, you know, to, 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 to bless all the kids who didn't, who didn't have parents, you know, that was the big cause back then was, was kids without parents and, uh, seal clubbing, right? You know, those were the two big things that were bad. And then just like general hunger, you know, we're generally anti-hunger. And so the expectation was that if you were in your third grade class during a free write period, you would take that time to write out a crudely written letter to the president of the United States asking him to stop hunger. Um, Because that was our general awareness of issues. You know, we didn't have any idea that, you know, hunger was generally caused by, you know, corrupt prison systems or, you know, or or, or a social security system that was completely, you know, we weren't woke. Let's just say it. We weren't woke back then. No one was woke. I guess Bernie Sanders somehow was woke. But Bernie Sanders, I don't know what he was up to in 2005. But, you know, I mean, he was probably, you know in line uh, doing something, you know, where he, he, he was probably waiting for a package, I think. Um, but, you know, also, you know, he was, he was woke back, back, back then. Um, so, yeah, that's what I remember about, about those younger years. I remember there was another 
teacher who was the military veteran type who was forcing kids to stand up and do the Pledge of Allegiance. But his other big thing was, uh, I guess this is, he just got some sort of sick joy out of this where he had a challenge where if you could eat an entire sleeve of saltines um, in under a minute, then, or maybe it was under two or three minutes, um, then you didn't have homework for the rest of the week. Like, he just took away your homework. And, you know, it, it wasn't like you could record yourself doing this or you could go and, like, be like, look, I'll do it now. He would make it a public event. And he would say, all right, everyone, um, Daniel's going to try the, the, the saltine challenge. And so you'd have this, you know, 12-year-old standing at the front of the class who's unable to give a presentation, barely, uh, I mean, let alone, you know, suffer some sort of, like, embarrassing thing and, you know, have crumbs all over his cheeks and lips and shirt. Um, and he would say, all right, everyone, all right, Daniel, go now and everyone would start cheering they go yes Daniel 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 meanwhile Daniel's like inhaling the driest chips imaginable he's not giving you water you're not allowed to have water he didn't even have water on hand in case the kids started choking so you were really you know walking without a safety net you were really doing the tightrope no safety net and uh, I don't think I don't think anyone ever did it because saltines are so dry and so salty and so they just it gets stuck everywhere that the only way you could eat all of um, eat a whole sleeve in less than two minutes or whatever it was is by uh, just basically embracing uh, you know choking and 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 general suffocation. Um, but you wouldn't have homework for a week, which seems which is a really good reward. You have to understand how great homework no homework for a week sounds as as a third fourth and fifth grader is it's there's nothing else you would ever want and i uh i don't know my relationship with homework was very you know here and there wishy-washy um and uh i remember for for when i was in kindergarten uh i wanted homework i i wanted homework and i asked my parents give me homework i want i want homework um, and I, you know, they probably saw that as like, oh, wow, my kid isn't being challenged. He must be gifted. Uh, you know, he must be really be smart. He needs that. He needs us to give him work after school that is, that is challenging him more. But really all it was, was that all the kids who were older in the first and second and third grade, they had homework and they were cool. You know, the third graders were, were, were fucking cool because, you know, they had certain privileges that I as a kindergarten didn't. Kindergartner didn't, you know, they could uh, walk around and recess more, you know, more unsupervised. Um, they could go to the bathroom without needing a bathroom hall pass. Um, you know, they were just trusted to go and then eventually come back. Um, they were learning swear words that I was not yet aware of. Um, and they were talking mainly that the, the, the relationship between boys and girls was more fluid. So boys could, could really openly be speaking to girls and not having it seem like, you know, treason against your sex. Um, which is how the you know it was living in communist kindergarten so I really wanted to be like a second or third grader. Um, so one of the thing, and one of the things that second or third graders did is that they had homework. And so I said, you know, mom, dad, I want homework so that I can be like them. Um, and you know, they would give me homework. I wouldn't finish it because the actual act of doing homework sucks. Um, but I wanted to be seen as an older person. Like older kids have homework. Real kids have homework, and that's how I wanted to be seen um, by by I don't know by who because it's not like any of the older kids were watching to be like, oh, like who? What kind of fucking you know first or second grader is gonna look at a kindergarten and be like whoa is that kid doing homework by himself he must be cool uh that doesn't happen in uh at any stage of your academic career that never becomes cool um the only time it's the only way to be here's how you be cool to uh people in the grade above you uh what you have to do is uh is is basically you know 
you need to say a bad word, kind of. You need to say one of the really bad ones. Or you, ideally, you know, if you're in the younger grades, you, if you say a bad word that the older kids don't know, you're in. You know, it's over. Like, that's, you're in the coolest group imaginable. If you know what, I remember this happening in, in fourth grade, uh, I sort of gained a reputation because uh, I, you know, I was, I was plumper then. I was not cool. Um, I wasn't generally, well, I I, I was, you know, I did okay, but then there's this one kid whose name was Austin Cavazzi, who, um, you know, later in life attended a college whose name he couldn't spell correctly, Um, but he, uh, we were playing wall ball one day, and he was there, and, you know, I caught the ball after it hit, after it came off the wall, and then I threw it, and, uh, you know, it went somewhere else, and then, uh, if you know the rules of wall ball, I think what it is, somehow, oh yeah, if, if the ball hits you, that's what happened, that if the ball hits you, you then have to sprint to the wall as fast as you can, um, and if he can hit the wall with the ball before you can touch the wall, then you're out, and you can't play anymore, and so that's what happened, is that the ball hit me, I start sprinting towards the wall um austin cavazzi manages to grab it and he is doing at this point in his life he is doing you know uh, he's playing little league baseball and he's the pitcher and so he might as well be the king of the planet um and he grabs the ball and he whips it at the wall and it, you know just barely misses my head and i'm out but it hits the wall before i do so i'm out um, and I, so I start, you know, I'm like, whatever, fine. And, you know, I'm a little upset about it, but then I can hear him, hear him yell, it's because you're fat or something along those lines. He says something about my weight. He calls me fat in some way. And, you know, he had angered me enough in the past and, you know, whether just by his general demeanor or by the fact that he's sort of the antithesis of everything I stood for, you know, being like, you know, caring more about what you think and about than what you, than, than, than your physical, you know, uh, prowess, you know, he, he's always been, he would, he had always been my devil in a sense. And so the fact that he had really said it this time, um, in the way, in a way that I knew that he had always believed, it really got me heated. And so I went up to him and I really, and I really, I wasn't going to hit him because that's not the kind of kid I was. I never had any sort of, uh, inclination to hit people, but I went up close to him. I got within a couple feet of him and I said this, I said, Austin, you're a cunt. And I said it, and uh, it was hard. I said it with a hard T, a hard C. I feel like somehow I said it with a hard U. I don't even know how it's possible, but it did. Um, I said, Austin, you're a cunt. And everyone just went, the, 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 the field went silent, whoa. Because no one really knew what that word meant. No one knew, uh, no one had heard it really. Um, but because of the way I said it, we all could tell that it was a really, 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 really bad word. Um, we were all familiar with, you know, bitch and shit. Um, and some of us were familiar. We, we all knew the existence of the F word um, as a very bad one. But the C word was in, in a league of its own. And I had just dropped it hard. Um, and so then he sort of just turned around and he, he, he went somewhere else and he stopped. He decided he didn't want to play anymore. Um, and then pretty soon recess was over. But then after that, it was almost like a David and Goliath moment where it's like, wow, that's the kid who called Austin Cavazzi a cunt. And, you know, after that, the word sort of spread among my grade. And uh, I think I was called in to the office because, you know, they had heard something that went down, but he was never really found out. There was never any proof. And so the whole thing just generally went away. How are you? How are you? How are you? What? How am I? Yeah. I'm fine. <laughs> what are you doing? What is this girl that you're doing that you're playing with? I don't well she she plays like we're gonna play Minecraft, I guess. Are you actually? 
Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? Why would I lie about this? Is this the girl? This is the same girl that you've been talking to. No, for it's a while? totally different girl. Oh, it's a totally. You're two timing a girl who you had a. Cause what happened with this other girl? You. you I'm you still talking your, to that girl. We just had another date, like a three. Like we did those questions. Remember? You're the only person who's being a slut in quarantine. That's who you are. I mean, these are all digital relationships. So. These are what? But this other girl is also really hot. <laughs> And so what about, is it her Minecraft, is it when she said, you know, do you want to hop on MC, that's what really did it for you? MC? MC? MC, Minecraft. No, I was like, I asked her, like, I was like, at one point I asked, like, what was the highlight of your day? And she said, Minecraft. I was like, do you play any other games? And she was like, not really. And uh-huh. I was like, well, I'd be down to play Minecraft. And she was like, I wasn't asking you to play with me, I was just playing Minecraft. No, she. that's not what she said, obviously. What is she but saying? I tried to recover my account from like six years ago, and it's not working. It's like I'm trying to send the password reset. Yeah, I had that like... trouble recently too. It was just on an email that I barely ever use anymore. So I, but I reset it. But doesn't it work? No, it, it works. I have Minecraft now. Oh yeah, I can't. I'm like it's been 24 hours and I haven't gotten the email. And I it's reached out to support. It's definitely because you're using the wrong. It's just because just you're on. Different. No, no, because I I checked the email and then in 2019 I got an email from Mojang that said they migrated the account from Minecraft to Mojang. So it's still associated with this email, I'm pretty sure. Maybe. Interesting. What do you want to – what what kind of Minecraft do you want to play with her? Are you going to do a custom map or just a regular one? I don't even know. What is that? <laughs> I have no you idea. You know they can do custom maps. You know that. Okay. I don't know. I think her friend has a custom- server or something. So. Oh, you're going to play on a server with her? Yeah. How is she going to explain that to her friends? <laughs> I don't know. Or I can... I think my cousin said something about... My what? cousin said he could create a server for me, too. I don't know. Yeah. Do you think that this is the future of, of love? Definitely not. <laughs> Are you sure? It might be for you. That's horrible. Don't say that. <laughs> I'm kidding. You're gonna meet up. You've been you've been itching to meet up with um with people with with specifically with with women on Tinder. Yeah. I yeah. <laughs> That's what single life is like. <laughs> it's just a it's just a constant state of you know of agitation. No, not. I mean, maybe in quarantine. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think it's harder to be single in quarantine than out? Because I would imagine that if you're single out of quarantine then there's more of a pressure to be going on dates. So if you're not going on dates, then it's your fault. But in quarantine, then it's quarantine's fault. You know what I mean? But you can still go on dates. Like, you know, you can still, like, I, I think the opportunity, I think if anything in quarantine, maybe it's the friction of getting on a first date is smaller because it, there's less, there's less of like a mm-hmm. opportunity cost, you know? What's it, what what do you know? What do you mean? <laughs> like the opportunity cost, because like you don't have to like go out of your way to get ready, go like meet the person, do that. Like with the digital experience, like it's there's it's a lot less like of a, a work, right? It's a like, lot less work. Yeah, yeah. That's what I thought you meant. That's what I that's what I thought you meant. Yeah. Uh, I I feel that like going on dates is, or I feel like at least. I get more nervous for a FaceTime call with anyone than I do going out to meet them at a place, you know? 
Why? Um, I think it's because, uh, I don't know, I'm better at communicating. Because over FaceTime, over the phone, you know, there's always a little bit of a lag. And so you're not getting all the information. You know, when you're with someone and you're just with you, you're you're getting so much information. You're getting body language. You're getting speech patterns. You're getting everything. But over FaceTime, you're really just getting a very small percentage of it. And so you never sure. understand with the other person, and that scares me. Yeah, it's definitely not as, like, doesn't, like, paint an accurate picture without, like, yeah. the physical yeah. aspect. And if, I, yeah, I agree. And if I don't have that, if I don't have all the information, then I'm just going to assume they hate me, you know? Yeah, I feel that a little bit. Like, it's, yeah, it's definitely harder to uh uh-huh. to get a vibe, for sure. I agree. What are you doing but, today? Um, I mean, I just finished classes. Yeah? Which class? Oh, wait, like, forever? No, no. Oh, just okay. today's. And then I think I read The New Yorker that just came in yesterday. What did you find in the Anything Good? I haven't looked through it yet. I just, when I get it first, I immediately skip to the end just to see the captions. Yeah, that's, then, much how, yeah, that's how all New Yorkers work. <laughs> I mean, that's the first thing I do through. when I yeah. get it is like, and then yeah. I go through and just see if I, well, I always check the movie reviews and the music reviews that they have because they usually cover pretty interesting stuff. Yeah. So, like, that's my order. And then I usually go to... You read the, the talk about the town? Talk of the town? Sometimes. I just don't find it super relevant to me. Like, No. It's really only yeah. relevant to people living between, like, 42nd Street and, like, yeah. 1st Street. It's, like, exactly. the downtown area, and then everyone else is, like, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then I, I usually go to, like, the nonfiction report that they do. But I really... The Economist... Honestly, it's amazing. I've I been. I always read you. that top to bottom or front to back. I don't back. believe that you actually read The Economist. No, I do. It's great. It it covers the entire world. Like, and they have they have really good writers and they have interesting stories too. But is it only about economy stuff or is it about other? No, stuff? no, it's not at all. Like, Economist is a little bit of a misnomer. I mean, it definitely has content about the economy, but but it's also like they have like stories about like society, culture, and in all the countries. And it's organized around, like, different sections of the world. Yeah. You, know, you get perspective of, like, you know, Africa, Middle East, Asia, United States, and South America. It's it's really good fantasy. Do they ever rank the countries? What do you mean? From best to worst? Um, I mean, they have, like, a... Here, let me get my copy. They have a lot of graphs and like tables at the end with data. Yeah, but I'm talking about just a general sort of like like the standings. You know, where is everyone at? In terms of like GDP or coronavirus? No, in terms of just you know, it's like sort of an overall. Group. Yeah, they have economic and financial indicators, and then this always at the end they have economic data if you want to look well, at it. That would be part of it. I'm just talking about a general sort of ranking of the nations. In know? terms of what, like quality of life? In terms of in terms of the country, you know, how good are they? How good is the country? In terms of what though? It's such a broad term. You mean in terms of like life expectancy, quality of life? No, 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 no. I mean, sure, that can all be consideration. But I think just sort of like a general, like, like you know, like the way that you know, Buzzfeed will have a list of like you know the ten best, uh, you know, secret Starbucks drinks. Are you hiring them? Are they, would they have the? 10 are you high? Would they have the top? Are you drunk? Are you high? you're high? 
the top twenty. No, you're high, aren't you? How would I have? How would I lie? I don't have weed up in Cape Cod. It's illegal. You're definitely uh, drunk then. No, I'm fine. But do they? Why do you have so much energy right now? Do they rank the countries? That's not in like some kind of arbitrary way, like you're describing. It's not arbitrary. It's a real. It sounds arbitrary. It wouldn't be arbitrary if the econ. Here's the thing: if the Economist listed the U.S. as the second best country, that would be major news. It's not the best. No, they they have they do in terms of like they listen in terms of GDP on their last graph. Okay. And then so they, they have everything else into like they have consumer price changes, unemployment, interest rates, budget balance. Is it that there's like a bracket and it's empty and you get to fill it in like March Madness? No, it's not a puzzle. You get to like there's like a thing at the end where it's just like here's you get to choose you know which country no. wins. No, it's a magazine. It's uh, it's called journalism. Not there's no kids edition or anything. If that's what you're looking for. You're on my podcast. That's why I have so much energy. I'm on your podcast. Yeah. Like yeah. how am I on it? I'm recording a call. I have a podcast. And all your friends are on it right now. No, no one's on it. It's not. It's not live. So you're just having a monologue podcast by yourself. Yeah, and you're my first guest. That's really lonely. No, it's not. It's just you? So you're just talking? Yes, other people do it too. Plenty of people have done it. Well, shouldn't you be like genuine on your podcast? Why are you like, you're not like this in real life. (laughs) I'm like this when I'm at home and when I'm just letting my brain go. When I have to talk for an hour, that's that's how I act. You should tone it down a little bit. I don't want to. You have to put something on a little bit. Oh, yeah, but, like, I can tell you're on. Like, it's too much. Yeah, because you know me in my life. But you, but the people who are just listening, they don't know me. Well, your f- people and friends on the podcast know you. I mean, you're the only one so far. No, but don't the guys, the group of people you talk to know you pretty well? Yeah. And won't they get, like, kind of annoyed by your onness? No. Because uh-huh, most okay. of my friends in other places... Most of my friends in L.A. also enjoy being on. Uh-huh. A lot of my friends, really, we, we, we like being on. It's really just, you know, you, Sergey, and, you know, our group of people where we all are sort of not on, you know. Uh-huh. And we all in, enjoy, a, a you know, a more sedate way of talking to each other. Even talking with, about it with you has made me more sedate. Wow. I mean, I'm just trying to bring it back down to a more... Level of, of but the way, but the way we talk is not interesting on a podcast. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting enough for me. That's because you're just talking to each other. You wouldn't, no, you wouldn't like it. If you just heard our conversations, that you would be bored. So you're saying I shouldn't listen to your podcast? No, because you should. I mean, <laughs> you don't have to listen to the podcast. But I'm saying the way that I talk in my podcast. And the way that I talk to you on my podcast is completely different than how I would talk to you and in real, life. In real life. Yes. And because yeah. the way I talk to you in real life is not interesting enough for a podcast. Yeah, I can. Yeah. Gotcha. You know, sure. that's why I was asking you what are the countries ranked and you still have an answer. Well, I mean, that's relative, right? But like I listen to a lot of podcasts and they're not as on as you and I still find it interesting. What podcast do you listen to? Like even on This American Life, it's not you're, you're not talking about like a million miles per hour the way you are. This American Life is an entirely different thing. 
what they're okay, doing. They're fine. planning out their whole conversation. Also, this American Life, did you listen to the one that came out like yesterday? Um, I, I think I have like 10 minutes left on it. Yeah, it's, but I did listen to it. It's so, they're just, every Sad? episode now is only depressing. There's no sort of like, you know. I mean, that's how that. a lot of people are feeling right now. It's reflecting this American life. Well, I guess this Japanese life, like this, this specific podcast, but you know. You think that that Japan should make their own version called This Japanese Life? I think that might be a little bit too. I don't know. I, I don't know if it's going to gain enough traction there. I, I think the current format is fine. If you were going to start your own podcast, what would it be? Uh, hmm. Oh no, I don't know if I would do something like live or something pre, like you know, something that's like edited. Well, those are different things. Yeah, exactly. I don't know where I would kind of like. I don't know what I would. I would have to like narrow down to. to if you were going to do a pre-recorded to... podcast, what would you do? I don't know. It's it's kind of it's kind of difficult. Maybe I would do something about do a, like do a Jeff, a Jeff reviewing Jeff like movies or like music or some sort of like pop culture thing. What? Some sort of like pop culture review. Yeah. Of some sort. I don't know. I'd have to find. You would rank cultures. I wouldn't. Why is everything a rank for you? No, I would just. I would. I would highlight. And discuss recent news or films and provide reviews of them. Uh-huh. Yeah. Have you seen like anything that. recently that you have a review of? Um, I've been watching a lot of like uh people reviewing Westworld and stuff, like those kind of breakdowns of the episodes. So you haven't been um, watching Westworld, but are you gonna do a review of the reviews of Westworld? No, no, I mean like my own review of it. Or my what own breakdown. So what what is your review of Westworld? What are you so far? about it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think season, right for people who haven't caught up. This is this is so much. I I don't know if this is this is a lot right now. Well, just give me the bullet points then. I mean, the they're they're definitely departing from the original storyline quite a lot, and uh-huh. they've created a whole sort of new, um, like a whole new like you know they're they're creating a whole new universe um, that that wasn't necessarily. Like, like I don't know how to describe. Like they, 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 they're basically kind of scrapping the whole park-based storyline and, and really going for the more like trying to create a narrative like about the current world, um, but told through you know the, these characters in the future. Um, I guess it's do trying to make VR? a statement. What do they do? They do they do VR? Um, they do like this. There's like this thing called AR therapy um, in the in the show, where yeah, where like the patients. But the whole this whole thing, the whole new season is like a it's a whole statement on like uh, it has a lot of themes to like current like life on Earth, um, and it's making kind of a statement about the way uh, people's lives uh, uh, currently are being lived. It's all about like free will. And like, how much free will do we have? And like, how much is the government tracking us? How much do There's we like, have? Well, the, they 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 have a lot of like uh, the whole concept of like social currency system that's in China, basically yes. like now in the West world, like Earth, uh, uh-huh. it's basically applied to every human. 
Right. And that's like the whole. That's so like why the whole. Why is it still called Westworld? Seems like they're not even in Westworld. Anymore. Yeah, I mean the whole thing is like predicated on the robots and like the robots. Now it's less. It's really not about the park. It, that's what I'm saying. They're totally departing from the whole park storyline. It's not really about the park as much as more about the implications of the technology that the park created. Oh my god, my dog is. My dog has, like, grabbed my New Yorker and is, like, going to rip it up. Sounds like that, that sentence that you just said, you know, it doesn't sound like a real sentence. Oh, my God. My dog She's is like, grabbing my New Yorker. Coraline, stop it, New Yorker. She's, She's making like, good use of that New Yorker. I think every issue of the New Yorker is just, like, eternally damned to eventually be read or torn apart by an animal. Yeah. I have a lot of them stacking up. It's hard to, like, finish all of them. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Cheaper All right. Well, cover. thank you so much for your for for coming on the pod. Uh huh. Like without my consent. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>